probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today are... Oh, uh, Brett Stillo of 5 Minutes of Trouble, 5 Minutes of Bonsai, 12 Chimes at Midnight. And this is Josh Horowitz, also from 5 Minutes of Trouble. Uh, I do want to mention 5 Minutes of Bonsai. We've talked about this. This is going to be the the new 5-minute show that we're going to be doing that discusses the adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai across the 8th dimension, 5 minutes at a time. That's an exciting one. There's certainly a lot to dig into there. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Harper, quick aside, are, are you a Bonsai fan? How, how do you stand on Bonsai? Or are you a pro-Lectroid kind of guy? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Buckaroo Bonsai, but it has been a really, really long time. It's one that has been on my rewatch list for quite a while. So I remember really enjoying it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's one I need to revisit for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a movie that you kind of have to go back to multiple times, I think, to be able to fully grasp all the, uh, <laughs> all the great things that is Bonsai. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like this movie. There's, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of vagueness. It's, it's not a cut and dried movie. Something I think both movies have in common is they almost require more than one viewing. Nothing mm-hmm. is spelled out. Yeah. Tones are very different. Uh, a little, and there's a little bit of uh, you know visceral gooey uh, in terms of your aliens. There's some there's some uh, Vaseline like shimmer on some of that prosthesis. So there's you know far less blood though in Bonsai. Right. <laughs> so um, today in minute sixty nine of the thing, we're talking about. Uh, uh, this minute starts with we'll see with uh, McCready uh, responding to. Uh, to Blair there as Blair tries to escape his shack and then uh, ends a minute later with maybe he tried to burn it uh, talking about the the potential corpse of Fuchs that we find on the ground out in the ice mm. so um, so this we can count another one of our 10 little Indians out in this minute mm. yeah uh, yeah, I know. When uh, when this opens up with Blair talking about how he's trying to get out, uh, I, I noted that he sounds very much like a surfer dude at this yes. point. He's like, oh, wait a minute, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I have in my notes that Blair is obviously way – he's acting way too cool and not grumpy enough to be the real Blair. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway. <laughs> I, I just noticed watching these minutes now that when, when you see him through that little – window thing he kind of looks like randy newman remember that uh, that guy from the 80s i love la wow i could see it <laughs> uh yeah i love that that last moment with blair too because it is it's like he's his last attempt to try and get back inside the whole like wait a minute man and then you know uh he's, he's he walks right out to the window and then uh mccready just shuts it right in his face nice. <laughs> which yeah. is is another one of those kind of like I feel like it's it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of unsettling too because it's like he's almost like treating him like he's not a person anymore, which he mm-hmm. may or may not be. But he's just like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
uh, but yeah, it's 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 a nice moment. Yeah, but you know, the the more Blair talks, the more he hurts his case. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> with this, those last lines, you're like, I I'd shut the the hatch on him too. Yeah, like ugh. the more desperate he seems, the less uh, the more suspicious he seems. <laughs> yeah, creepy Brimley. Yep. <laughs> So, so yeah, so then they walk out. We get another uh, wonderful shot of the uh, the blizzard going on outside, which I forgot to mention yesterday. Um, this uh, Obviously, uh, this stuff outside actually was shot in the uh, as an exterior in uh, Stewart, British Columbia, where it actually was uh, icy and snowy and all this. But they uh, on top of that, they added a bunch of giant wind fans to, uh, to make it look even more uh, uncomfortable outside, which I'm sure the actors were thrilled about. Mm. Um, so to really simulate that blizzard that's going on around them, they, uh, they yeah. added even more. I was actually also wondering if maybe they added some stunt snow. You I know, you so. read about, yeah, wouldn't be surprising, you know, just to make it look more snowy in some spots. Mm. And, you know, you read about other, other productions or there's a snow scene and it is winter, but, uh, they just, you know, they, they turn on the snow blowers to make it look more, you know, say to add icicles just to really sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know all the snow on the ground is is legit. Like they they built this set in the in summer of '81, and then when they came back to shoot it in the winter, it was all covered like this. Like that's all none of that set dressing. That's real snow because they they cho- actually chose this location because it was the uh, they call it the snow capital of the world in uh, hmm. in Stewart, British Columbia. So um, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, that all worked out, but yeah, I, I would be willing to bet there's some, in addition to the fake extra wind, there's some extra snow added in there too, to really sell the blizzard. But yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. feels pretty uncomfortably cold, uh, watching the movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the part where, where he throws the flare away in the snow is, is very satisfying for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if I, I had a flare like that, I, it'd be kind of fun to just kind of just toss it like that. Yeah, you know, I don't remember, but I almost wish that there was a real, a, a loud, like, hiss, like, pss, like it just burns out of the snow right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely pretty cavalier about it. Yeah, he just throws that one out, and they're like, oh, there's something else out here. Let's light up another one. Like, no, <laughs> no big deal. This is, uh, you know, I, I suppose a flashlight would have been much more boring, but certainly easier for these <laughs> characters to uh, walk around with. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, uh, off air, we were talking a little bit about the lens flares. This is definitely one of the big ones as they walk over to flare or flare to Fuchs on the ground. <laughs> um, yeah, we get a, a flare, a, uh, lens flare that crosses the entire screen. It's, it's almost kind of distracting, but this is, I think probably a prime example of what I mentioned earlier, where, uh, Dean Cundy kept trying to ask them to hold it just outside of frame. So you'd get the light, but not any of that like extreme, uh, extreme hot light that would uh, cause that kind of flare, but it, uh, it works really well for this scene. I like it. Oh, it's yeah. A scene that JJ Abrams would be proud of. Right. <laughs> and yet he couldn't quite capture it digitally. You know, it does, does with Abrams and his celebrated lens flares, does he ever, I've never read about his, his, his technique. Does he ever use uh, actual lens flare or is he pretty much, is it, does it come out of a can? I I think most of it's digital, but there there might be a few real ones in there. It's been a while since I've rewatched uh, the uh, his first Star Trek movie, and I know that's that's the one in particular that people really kind of were joking about that. But his his two are mostly um, mostly during those kind of big epic uh, shots where the camera's kind of rolling around the set and things like that too. So you get a, a lens flare that really kind of rolls with the camera. Yeah, so that's that's totally. Uh... 
Kraft cheese right. runs flare. That would be very uh, difficult to pull off uh, on yeah. purpose. And what you know, and you know, when you were discussing Kundi, you know, it's the fact you have this potent light source, and you have to you have to adjust the scene to work with it. So, mm-hmm. as you were saying, it has to be off camera, and you get that residual light coming in, and it just. You know, you can just tell when it's natural and organic, and it's almost like a force in nature. Yeah, it definitely dominates the the color palette and and dominates the lighting of of these kind of scenes. It's it's yeah, it's one of the kind of iconic looks of this movie too. Is definitely guys walking around with this kind of pinkish purple glow on them. Yeah, mm. I, I'm going to throw down the the dreaded nitpick card for just oh. a minute. All right. And I, I hate to ask, <laughs> but I'm going to go there and ask, and I, you know, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I can't remember. Is there a reason why they're not using flashlights out here? Not, not in story that I know of. There's, there's only one time that I can think of that they use a flashlight. We actually joked about it on an earlier episode. It's, it's when, uh, when McCready discovers that the helicopter has been trashed. Um, mm-hmm. there's a flashlight just sitting on the edge of the helicopter, like very conveniently for him to pick up and, and take a look inside. Um, mm-hmm. but other than that, I think it's, all, it's exclusively flares that they're using for the, for the movie. Um, and I, I think it is just kind of a stylistic choice that in story, yeah. there's not really a, an explanation for why. Um, yeah. it's not like this is, you know, pre flashlight times or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 It'll come in handy with the cold in later scenes, though, uh, with, with MacReady. Yeah, that's it true. As a, as a potential lighting source. That's right. Yeah, flashlight would not do the trick there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It's also, kind of a, it's also kind of a plant for later. But, yeah, and believe me, I don't want to see a flashlight. Because, like you said, it's, it's, it's part of the look of this movie, having the flares. And I, I would prefer uh, getting all that glorious lens flare than a, mm-hmm. just a bright, uh, you know, some ever ready look, which would not be as cool, but yeah, I, I uh, you'll have to forgive me. I had to, I did have to go there and, you know, uh, ask, well, yeah, is there some a, reason with a flashlight, it becomes X files, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. Need extra totally fog there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally different. You know, that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they did some preliminary tests and talked about flares versus flashlights and, oh, sure. you know, and you know, well, actually, I'm um, I'm realizing they they kind of went there two years before with the fog. Hmm. So you know, they yeah. were probably done with flashlights and, and smoke yeah. and fog. At that point. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we did that. Yeah. We totally did that. So they were, you know, Dean brought over a box of flares, and John said, "Oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was probably a pretty careful choice for uh, for both color and you know, because also. Um, those lights, everything that's lighting the outside of the camp, that's all practical lighting from those blue lights, which are actually airport runway lights that uh, Dean Cundy decided he liked the best to light up the mm-hmm. outside of the camp at night. Um, so, yeah, they're very careful with kind of the color of the light and the types of light. But I, I think the flares also work as a um, – there's definitely a theme of, like, fire kind of fighting back against the cold in this movie. Um, so I think yeah. the flare obviously works much better with that than a, than a uh, flashlight. They didn't go one further and go with just a straight torch – Indiana Jones style, but uh, yeah, yeah, the flare flare kind of adds to that little uh, metaphor too, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think it also adds to the tension. If we go back a couple of minutes to Fuchs when he goes outside, and you know the flare is flickering wildly and it's hissing, and you know you're you're 
almost thinking it, it might bite him. Oh, sure. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing with this shot, you know, that that could, uh, you know, that could turn McCready into a torch at any moment. So it just mm-hmm. adds, I think, to the tension. Computer, how likely is it that one of our guests may be infected with the intruder organism? 100%. Great. In that case, what are our chances of survival? Projection. If guests make it to other podcasts, all of iTunes will be infected within 27,000 hours. Yikes. Well, how long can we keep this up in the meantime? Projection. Without listener support, the generator will be destroyed in less than 24 hours and podcasting will be impossible. If only the radio wasn't down, we could reach the mainland and tell the listeners to go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button in the bottom right of the page to help out. Projection. If listeners go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button, chances of the podcast survival goes up 75%. Windows, keep trying. So, speaking of that, of the uh, potential for getting burned by your flare... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice, right? <laughs> they uh, so they find a burned corpse that has uh, some glasses that look an awful lot like the uh, the signature early '80s hippie scientist glasses that uh, that Fuchs was wearing when we last saw him. So we're to presume that uh, that this is the body of Fuchs uh, as the characters do here, and this is where we get probably the one of the two most uh, mysterious deaths in the movie that never get explained and. Uh, you know, so what are, so we were talking a little bit off air, but what do you guys think happened to Fuchs, uh, uh, in terms of what we see here? See here, here's the weird thing. It's like, if you look at the remains in the snow, it's looks like it's been there for a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's all that snow covering up on it, you know, compare that to a couple of minutes ago when you saw McCready's outfit there. I mean, that, that looked like it had just been placed there. I mean, how much time has passed here? Only Uh, 45 minutes, I think is, is that what they said that, uh. Mm. Or no, we ha- well we haven't gotten that yet. No, no, no. That was earlier in '67 when they're talking about uh, when they're talking like in the rec room. Yeah, talking about yeah. They said Fuchs has been go- or the, the lights have been out for forty for about forty minutes. I, I mean, think. it just it just looks like what's what's there in the ground has been there a lot longer. And that I don't know. The, maybe there would be something that would still be charred or, or heat coming of it. I don't know. Some smoke, yeah, or something. You're right about that. Yeah, that's a really good point, Josh. You know, that looks like it's maybe been there overnight. It's kind of frozen over mm. a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, you know, movie making. It's I mean, more guess, about. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's supposed to be him. Uh, but, you know, boy, I mean, you mentioned earlier that there was some other version of, of uh, Fuchs being, you know, his his death. Mm-hmm. I actually saw there's a, a Wikipedia, or they call it the Thing Wiki. Yeah. You know, they talk about the alternate version of, of Fuchs's death. And they actually had a production still, mm-hmm. and it showed him impaled by a shovel in the greenhouse. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that that scene is very very interesting in the script. It's it's kind of funny actually that what it is is um they 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 go out looking for Fuchs. They realize he's missing um, because and as the lights have just gone out, and uh, they go into the greenhouse, which has been set up in an earlier scene of the movie as actually Childs is growing marijuana there. <laughs> yeah. um, which, uh, you know, is something they ended up cutting from the movie, which is partly why they ended up changing Fuchs's death, because they, they felt like it would be weird to have them walk into this room that we've never seen before. Um, because the scene basically kind of plays off that, where somebody has smashed the window of the greenhouse and all the plants are f- are frozen, and Childs is pretty upset about it. And um, 
Palmer, I think it's, is it Palmer? Yeah, Palmer tells him that he thinks that the plants might be infected by the thing and burns them, which is an interesting little nod to the, uh, to the original thing from another world where the monster is a plant-based organism. Um, I think was the intention was to do kind of an homage there. But um, yeah, and as they're leaving that room while the plants are on fire, uh, the door swings back and they find Fuchs impaled on the back of the door. Mm. so it's definitely a different death (laughs) than this one yeah Yeah. but there's there's kind of a a paradox there in that you know whoever killed fuchs in that scene yeah used a very used a shovel very human way to kill the guy why not just assimilate him Mm -hmm. uh so you know who did kill fuchs that still sort of raises the question of, you know, if it was the monster, why did he use a very uh, mortal, human kind of way to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. everybody else is getting turned inside out. Yeah, and I think there's even a line later in the script that obviously they didn't use that um, uh, I think McCready theorizes that maybe assimilation would take too long. It didn't have time, so it just uh, it just killed him instead, which isn't really a very satisfying answer because... You think it could just kill him and then take over the body, or stat, or you know, somehow contain him or, or hold him back while it took him over? It's it's not a, I, that doesn't really uh, convince me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of a kind of weak. But then you know, taking it back to this moment, you know, maybe that's why we see a burned up Fuchs. Right. Uh, though I, you know, I'll I'll say that you know because in sixty seven. We see that clue, that red herring. Mm-hmm. You know, he finds the the suit with McCready's name stenciled on it. That, you know, the we're thinking maybe the thing left that so Fuchs would find it. Mm-hmm. So then he would go tell all the other guys, hey, look what I found. And, you know, confront McCready with right. it. But we don't get that because Fuchs is dead. So it, it makes me wonder if Fuchs accidentally did set himself on fire with that flare. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's an answer that, you know, it's when we first started talking about it off air, it was, I thought it was kind of funny, but the more we think about it, it actually almost does make more sense because yeah. Why would the thing go to the trouble of trying to attack him? If it just, you know, did this whole setup with faking the clothes and leading him outside and all, like, why would it do that? Um, yeah. And it obviously works for the plot and that nobody knows about McCready's, ripped uh, clothes not yet anyways except for us like we've got that suspicion as the audience but uh in in movie they don't know that yet but yeah it is definitely a, a curious a curious end for him and that you know something that never gets revealed hmm. yeah it makes me also think of this this paradox that you know in real life weird things happen unexplainable things happen mm-hmm. you know fate intervenes uh and how we are oftentimes so not unprepared, unaccepting of the fate factor. You know, when we watch a movie, we want everything explained. We want reasons. Uh, so you, you, we, we're sort of against any kind of a random element. Like, how, how could that possibly happen? Because right. he slipped or something like that. We're kind of, we're, we're not willing to accept that maybe, like, yeah, Fuchs, bends over he loses his footing he falls on the floor uh <laughs> he ignites himself uh of course you know we we you know then it would become a big distraction to go into that in the movie but you know but yeah what you alluded to 
uh, is that we have this charred body. We know that a few moments earlier, yeah, he found this torn bit of clothing with McCready's name on it. So again, we're clued into it, well, but when we see the other characters aren't, we know something they don't. Mm-hmm. So we're ca- we're carrying that around. Well, and it is, uh, you know, they have established that this is a pretty dangerous situation that they're in in general. Just anybody going outside by themselves is probably not a particularly smart thing to do in that, you know, they're out in the blizzard and I don't think we've seen it yet, but, uh, you know, later in the movie, it, you know, they kind of hint that if you're by yourself and you're not holding on to the, the guideline, you could easily get lost in the blizzard or, you know, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's got this flare that, like we said, is kind of blowing around. Like it's, it's, it's certainly believable that something could have gone wrong easily. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point because when we see these three guys in this scene, you know their jackets are zipped up, they've got their goggles on, they've got their gloves. Going back to minute sixty-six when Fuchs runs out of the building, I just noticed you know his jacket is open. Yeah, that's I right. I think he, he yeah, I think much. he's got gloves, but he doesn't. You know, yeah. the way he's attired, it looks like okay, it's it's chilly out. It's not the Arctic. So. He's certainly not prepared. Yeah. Well, I don't think he was going to be planning on staying out there very long yeah no no i yeah i think that sets up the fact that he he quickly rushed out but at the same time you know i remember reviewing that minute and thinking you know step up your jacket man (laughs) (laughs) put on a hat for crying out loud get your galoshes on go back inside (laughs) that's fuchs's mother would have been furious with him Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah, it's it's it is interesting. I think that's that's probably a pretty uh, viable theory there that that just maybe an accident happened because it certainly doesn't play into the thing's motives. But um, I do like to think that uh, Fuchs is one of my favorite characters in the movie. Just that he he kind of stands out and is a, is an interesting character in how he kind of approaches the whole situation. He's certainly the most kind of afraid and anxious. And I like that in the script he's described as a sensitive looking scientist. And that's definitely kind of the way his character plays. And I, mm-hmm. I like the idea that uh, his death is is kind of a, a selfless one, that he's trying to destroy the monster and at the cost of his own life, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So I do like that uh, that version of it as well. But, you know, it's just kind of up to interpretation, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And again, it's it's intentionally vague. Right. As I've been saying, in in a modern remake of the thing or just any horror movie, you'd you'd show that death scene. It would be almost mandatory. I'm I'm seeing the notes from uh, from the studio head saying, oh, we we need to see Fuchs die." And this it's no, we we don't you don't need it. Um, it leaves us to question why. But uh, there you have it. I think it just helps add to the mystery and the tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. So the other thing I had kind of noted about this minute is that I love as a uh, as a person who works in sound, I love the way that this whole scene sounds with uh, the way they're all yelling out in the snow. And that mm. it's it's uh, I wouldn't say it's obviously all faked like ADR, but it, it definitely is. <laughs> um, yeah. In that I, I kind of just the way they're all like McCready doesn't really yell that much. Like he kind of just speaks at a normal volume, but Nalls and Windows are like screaming at the top of their lungs to get over the wind. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I've just always kind of liked, I like this conversation that they have where they can obviously barely hear themselves over the wind and the snow and everything. Um, as they're, they're trying to sort out this mystery in like the worst possible place to stand and try and figure out something that they're not going to be able to solve. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you said, you know, I think it's, it's just adds to the environment, mm-hmm. you know, having the, the sound of the wind and their, 
their voices struggling to be heard above that. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's definitely another turn in the movie. So at this point, we've lost two people. We've seen Bennings go, and and uh, and now Fuchs. And now we're down to ten left in the uh, in the crew of the of Outpost Thirty One. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we've so we've got some more to add to this little uh, Fuchs mystery and what's going to happen next in uh, in tomorrow's minute. But that's uh, that's more or less all I had for this one. Do you guys have anything you wanted to mention? Nope. Good here. No. Not at this not at this time. We'll save it for a big <laughs> finale on Friday. That'll be our special double whammy episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we definitely get some good stuff tomorrow. So uh I think that'll wrap this one up. But uh always fans, you can check out moviesbyminutes.com for an entire collection of other podcasts like this one. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. Um it was there were so many that when I first went to the website, I was shocked to find there wasn't a thing minute already. And it, uh, I, when I was thinking about doing the show, I was searching on the website and uh, about had a heart attack when I when I did a search and saw that there was a thing minute, but it was that thing you do minute. <laughs> so <laughs> not, not quite the same as this one. Uh, probably you'd probably uh, notice pretty quickly you were listening to the wrong podcast if you downloaded that one uh, instead of this one. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, there are tons of good ones, including the uh, the fine podcast that uh, that my guests this week have, have uh, put out or are about to put out. So definitely check those out. I'm sure if uh, the thing is not your favorite movie, then your favorite movie probably already has a podcast or is waiting for you to start one. So definitely check uh, moviesbyminutes.com for all those great shows. And uh, as you're doing that, just don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.